Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may be. My name is Alfredo, and you are now tuned into the Climate Frontline Podcast. At the Climate Frontline Podcast, we engage with leaders in different social movements, industries, as well as artists to really have conversations and conversations that really center those communities at the front line of climate change. And we really do this to change the narrative around uh, the climate and how we understand climate change. And we do this one conversation at a time. So today I have the opportunity of welcoming Sochil Bernadette Moreno to the show. Welcome, Sochil. Oh, thank you very much, Alfredo. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, it's uh, really exciting to have you on the show. You know, uh, I have so many questions for you and uh, really want to have my audience get an opportunity to find out a little bit of who you are and uh, some of the work you're doing. Uh, but first of all, uh, I would just like to ask, what's your favorite food or your favorite snack? Well, you know, um, being a Chicana, I must say that my favorite food is esquites. Um, for for those of you out there who are familiar, um, you may know esquites or, or elotes. Um, so it's just corn, um, but in a cup. Uh, and you can get it from any street vendor all over Mexico. And, and it, when you're lucky, here throughout Oakland, there's a few esquite vendors too. Um, and so corn with some lemon juice, limon y chile, and um, it really always hits the spot for me and also brings me back and makes me feel connected um, to my ancestral line. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds really delicious. Uh, I, I think I had an opportunity to taste some of that while I was in Mexico. So, uh, yeah, thank, thank you for being in the show. And where are you tuning in right now from? Where are you located at? Yeah, so I'm in Oakland, um, Oakland, California, here in West Oakland, or um, also known as Wichin, um, which is Ohlone territory. So definitely giving honor and thanks to the Ohlone peoples, um, and, you know, always like to, to give a shout out, um, to the folks over at the Segorate Land Trust, uh, which is a, a group of, uh, indigenous, uh, Ohlone peoples that are rematriating the lands here. And if you also live in these lands and, and, you know, are, are living with the, the privilege of being in this space, um, it's important to pay what is called the Shumi land tax. Um, so really uh, encouraging people to, to check out the Gorate Land Trust and get your Shumi land tax paid if you're here in Wichina as well. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I was trying to do some research in terms of um, the peoples that are there, and I found the Muwekma peoples, but I think that maybe um, in a different space, I know there's different types of uh, peoples there so thank you for sharing that i really appreciate it and um t just really quickly because you got my attention what is this tax you're you're talking about within that yeah so it's called the shumi um s-h-u-m-i shumi land tax and the idea is that um that people who are visitors or guests on the land which are are you know many of us if we're 
if we're not native peoples, indigenous to the territories that we're living on, um, have a duty and a responsibility to support the native peoples um, and their their ability um, to, you know, reconnect to their ancestral homelands, um, to live here in a good way, and you know, taking responsibility for our role in colonization and imperialism. Um, taking, you know, not just by by giving thanks um, or, or saying words, but actually in a physical way um, by contributing back so that there can be all kinds of projects, um, you know, that can look anything like community gardens um, to health programs. And, and so things like the Shumi land tax do that. Um, and, you know, wherever you are, there, there might be similar projects and initiatives taken on by, by the people um, of those territories. So, you know, always encouraging people um, to, you can also check out something called Whose Land Am I On um, or nativelands.com. And those are other really great resources uh, for finding more information about the indigenous people um, in, in your particular territory. Absolutely love that. Yeah. And I happen to be in Anisinan people's territory. So that's where I'm tuning in, which is uh, close to where now Sacramento is or what is considered modern day Sacramento. So thank you for doing that. Um, I'm curious to know, too, uh, you know, uh, this whole podcasting thing or being on air, is, this is not something new to you, right? So could you just share me a little, a little bit about uh, your your walk of life? And maybe what uh, La Onda Bajita is? Sure thing. Yeah. So um, for the past 10 years, I've been the co-host um, and co-producer of La Onda Bajita, which is the nation's longest running Chicano radio show. Um, my segment is called uh, Radio Olin and, uh, or movement radio in, in the Nahuatl language, our native language. And, um, Londa has been going at it, um, you know, for, for many, many years now. Um, I've, I've had the, the pleasure and ability to, you know, be interviewing changemakers, artists, musicians, you know, politicians, you name it, um, for these past 10 years. Um, but, but the cuates at Londa Bajita really helped, um, lead the way there were in those times, um, they were, they were adopted by the Pacifica Network, um, and you can listen to us on 94.1 FM KPFA every Friday night uh, from 8 to 10 p.m. And, you know, in those times, there were nobody playing, you know, lowrider music or, you know, kind of giving, giving throwbacks to the oldies is how it started. Um, but it was more about hearing the kinds of voices, um, accents, stories um, and narratives of, of uh, in brown and indigenous and Chicano people. And so, you know, that was a, a very, very important step in, in paving the way for uh, the kinds of, of podcasts and the breadth of, of radio that we have today, um, you know, where some of, of my comrades with uh, at Londa Bajita. So I'm really always honored to, you know, be part of such a, an amazing tradition and, and lineage. And my father, also, I'm a, I'm a third generation filmmaker and, and media maker. 
um, my great grandfather uh, in Mexico photographed the revolution and many of the, the photos that you see um, of Pancho Villa or Emiliano Zapata sitting in the president's chair during the revolution uh, were taken by Antonio Garduño, my great grandfather. And then um, Antonio Moreno um, was uh, my grandfather who ended up going on to, uh, to become a filmmaker himself. And, and my father started working in radio and, and TV and uh, worked for Univision and then TV and Radio Marti um, for many years and just retired. So long lineage and, and history of, you know, getting the information into the hands of the people in my family. What an amazing story. Uh, yeah, that that's really great. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that uh, you've had an opportunity to find some space and, and have dialogues with uh, the community, right? And so uh, tell me a little bit of what ended up happening uh, as you were doing this and uh, how is it that essential food and medicine came about? Yeah, well, in addition, you know, to my work with um, with KPFA, Londa Bajita, um, you know, I also was uh, the co-founder of the Outsider Media, which was an independent media company um, coming from, you know, a really leftist activist lens. Um, and we interviewed, you know, many, many different kinds of people and, and uh brought many stories to the forefront. Um, but that was birthed out of my work as, as an activist, you know, really since a very, very young age. Um, I have always had a passion um, for social justice, for environmental justice, um, felt, you know, like it was my duty and responsibility to act and to do something. Um, and so, you know, since the age of 12, really, 15, um, I started uh, going to protests, um, organizing, creating, you know, collectives. Um, I founded, co-founded an uh, anarchist collective when I was 15 called the What Collective, um, went on to work for Free the Children, um, and then got involved with the anti-globalization movement, um, which took me to many different places, um, so many different kinds of direct action organizing. Um, and then when I was 18 years old, I had come to San Francisco um, to work on a thing called the Future 500, um, which was an organizing and uh, uh, activism directory based in um, uh, here in, in the Bay. And so I came out here and it was the war against Iraq. Um, and, you know, ended up staying and, and getting really involved in direct action to stop the war and um, felt extremely activated, went to um, Mexico to Cancun to protest the World Trade Organization um, and was connecting to social movements all across the world. Um, and so, uh, you know, then lived in, in Thailand for a number of years studying natural medicine. And when I came back to the U.S., um, I ended up working for Power, People Organized to Win Employment Rights, um, and Alicia Garza, uh, you know, came up through our organization and went on to become our uh, 
executive director before going on to found Black Lives Matter. Um, so, you know, large and, and deep history of, of movement work and struggle um, led me to this moment where earlier this year, um, you know, it's, it's March, um, my birthday happened for safe spring. And then, uh, you know, that was just a few days after California went into uh, lockdown um, and, and the pandemic was, you know, just sweeping across the country, across the world. People were trying to figure out their responses and, and figure out, you know, how, how to react, what was going on. And as a result, I started, you know, that same process of inquiry which led me into um, the Bay Area Mutual Aid Network, um, where I, I got connected to people doing hand-washing stations, um, setting up clean water sites, um, water access points for the unhoused populations here in West Oakland and throughout Oakland. And so I got um, involved in that, and, and then uh, through a mutual contact, met um, Michelle Seasons Eldridge, um, who was the co-founder uh, or the founder of SOS Juice and is now my co-founder with EFAM, Essential Food and Medicine, and also now my, my partner in life. And so we, um, you know, we met and, and learned about his history of, of getting juice and, and health, you know, education into people's hands um, that need it most. And so we kind of teamed up and we had seen this surplus of food, um, this surplus, um, just kind of going rotten in the field and decided that we had to do something. So we connected with local farmers, with food banks, um, with different, you know, mutual aid networks and started transforming that food into nutritious juices, soups, smoothies, and natural medicine. Um, and so getting those out for free to the unhoused populations um, and really started developing very, very deep relationships with people um, because people were at that moment in such a state of crisis and a lot of the systems that they had relied upon for, you know, just kind of day-to-day services um, had shut down. And so there was this huge gap um, and we were, you know, blessed to be able to help fill that gap um, and also, you know, to, to really start uh, relationships in the encampments that have progressed, um, you know, to this day and, and where, you know, we, um, our EFAM has recently started the Kaban Wood Initiative, which we can talk more about, you know, throughout our conversation, but it's a community clinic, community kitchen, and we're just starting construction of a free store. Um, at the Wood Street Encampment, which is one of the largest encampments of unhoused or internally displaced peoples throughout the West Coast. Um, and that was birthed out of, you know, the need of residents to have some of these basic needs met. And, you know, what the vision is and, and what we really try and do there is create a space for residents to not just receive a handout um, of food or or medicine, but to be able to participate in its creation themselves and really, um, you know, create the opportunity for agency in one's own life. 
that's an amazing story. Uh, I'm so, uh, yeah, I, I have so many questions about the, the organizing you've been doing and the traveling as well. But um, I'm a, I'm a big eFam fan once I found out about this and uh, saw some of the pictures on social media. I think uh, it brought a lot of warmth to my heart. So um, tell me a little bit more of uh, what's going on there. Uh, and, and really, um, yeah, I'm curious to know what, what are some of the challenges that you're facing there. Yeah, well, specifically with EFAM, you know, as we grow as an organization, um, and especially in these times, there's always the challenge of capacity and um, especially founding something in the midst of a crisis. Um, there's a tendency to always operate from this crisis mentality, right? Um, and to continually push ourselves. So our challenge as an organization has been to grow in a good and sustainable way and how to, you know, really stick to our North Star, which is providing essential foods and medicine for all people. Um, and so we have, you know, really tried to find the right relationship with other um, activists, change makers, mutual aid networks. Um, and we're, you know, currently calling in the participation of other teammates and looking for the right kinds of people to help um, make this vision a reality. Um, what we envision with the Kaban Wood Project, you know, is a, is a space where community members um, from the Wood Street curbside community, the encampment there, um, can team up with an outside community member every day um, or a few days a week at least to cook a collective meal for the community. Um, and so we're looking for folks to be cooks and, and chefs um, to accompany that work. We're looking for practitioners to work in the clinic um, and to take on, you know, one day a week, one day a month, um, to offer nutrition classes, health classes, um, you know, anything from acupuncture to massage to herbalism. Um, we're looking for people to staff the free store um, and, and help, you know, filter through and, and search out donations of, of clothing of sleeping bags, of other essential goods and items. Um, and then to also care for and steward the land. Um, that's a huge part of, of this next phase is to look at um, the compost and the waste, you know, what we typically consider waste products, um, and to transform that into new life. So at ETHM, we take our, the pulp, um, from the juices that we create and, and the idea is to grow this uh, into being able to receive the compost from other cook days because, you know, in this time of the pandemic, there's, um, you know, people that have sprung up everywhere. There's uh, the food crew that cooks out of Tamarack um, every Monday as well. There's Feed the People um, that have been doing this from, you know, the folks from the village that have been doing this for many, many years. 
Um, there's, you know, all of these different food out bombs. Um, and to, what we'd like to do is be able to be a place uh, to receive all of that compost and take it to the next level and create healthy soil from it, grow worms um, from it so that then that can be sold to, you know, people in their homes, um, be made available to, to farms and gardens uh, so that the cycle of life can continue. Um, so we're looking for collaborators and, and people in, in that project and, and then always, you know, <laughs> looking for people to help us take care of some of the administrative duties too and things like grant writing, um, things like, you know, social media, storytelling. Um, I think there's so many rich stories um, and experiences out there, um, especially in, in corners of our world that are often overlooked or corners of our world where people, um, you know, are not seen or, or not given dignity. Absolutely. You know, there's, um, yeah, there's, there's so many untold stories out there. So, we really, in our work, intend and, and try to, to highlight some of that humanity. Yeah. Wow. Um, and just for some context, uh, if, if you want to, uh, Ashel was in the season, in, in Ashel season, Zellerich was also in the show. So if you want to listen to my conversation with him, it's episode number seven. And um, yeah, I'm so glad that Ashel was able to make the connection between us two because... Uh, the work you're doing there, I think, is transformational in many ways. You're healing land, you're healing people, and you're uh, a beacon of hope during all this, right? It, it, it's the symbol comes to my head uh, when you're when I'm hearing your voice and and the work you're describing. So, if I may, I, I wanted to ask you a couple uh, questions specifically around uh, language because in this show we have a intentional focus on language uh you know it's it's just a way in which we can relate to each other or or it can be a way to create relationships or you know the first weapon that's drawn in conflict as well so i'm curious to know how, how have you experienced language both uh with efam and and your journey yeah well you know i'm i'm born on the day of um the water, but in the year of Sekhbat, um, or the flint, or the, the sharp and filosa tongue um, in the Aztec calendar. And so, uh, us born in the years of, of the Sekhbat 1984, what was, um, we always have this affinity for language and, and for um, storytelling. And I think that, that words are extremely powerful you know, it's the root of where so much comes from. Um, the words that we speak are a result of the words in our thoughts, in our heads. Um, and, and then the words that we speak become our actions, um, and which become our reality. So it's incredibly important to pay very close attention to the words that we use. Um, and, with our work at EFAM, we try to 
use a liberatory language um, and to, you know, use a language of mutual respect um, and, and admiration and adoration of, of La Madre Cita Tierra, of our sacred mother earth. Um, you know, also language connects us to our ancestral heritage and, and lines and tradition. And so it's an opportunity to, you know, my name's Sochi, means flower. It's the last day of the week in, in our calendar system. And so, you know, I, I believe that when people say my name, I'm, you know, I'm born on the first day of spring, I'm the embodiment of a flower, um, that it can, you know, help to, to illuminate and, and bring joy. And, and I try and choose my words very carefully, understanding the context um, that one simple word can give and the thoughts and vibrations that words can carry. Um, my mother is a communication studies professor um, on the East Coast, and so it's always been um, something that, that I'm, I'm quite attuned to, um, this use uh, of language, this study of liberation through the spoken word. Yeah, that was so beautifully said. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I, I can... <laughs> I'm, I'm really trying to absorb what you're saying, and it really resonates with me, uh, because you really have to be intentional about uh, the language you use. Um, yeah, I want to dive into uh, a few things with you also around youth, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. shared i'm originally from syria um and while i am a dual citizen my sister and um uh is uh, who lives in dubai has a syrian passport and because of the last four years and what is quote unquote the muslim ban she wasn't allowed to get a visa and come visit and finally she just uh recently received a visa and she's gonna get visit me and i'm gonna get to meet her daughter who is two years and a half for the first time and we're gonna spend time as family together so that is something i'm definitely looking forward to something that is you know these you can tell like these policies and the last um And um, the last four years have had like a true impact on um, very hard impact on our my family. So uh, now we get to reunite. So that is one thing that I bringing me a lot of joy right now. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that story. Uh, yeah, the story time, I think, is becoming more popular because it just brings in some uh, inspiration and joy from the people that come into the space, the community members. So I hope you appreciate that. And if you have a story, be sure to submit it at theclimatefrontline.com. We are now back with uh, 
Sochil Bernadette Moreno. We are here speaking about EFAM. Sochil, thank you so much for being in the show again. It's really nice to have you here. Uh, we've gotten a chance to discuss EFAM with you and also find out um, some of the challenges that you've been facing with EFAM. Uh, I wanted to take an opportunity to ask you about youth. Uh, how are youth engaged in this space and why should they engage in this space? Yeah, well, when we come to the topic of youth, um, it's actually one that's very, very close to my heart. As I was talking about in some of my introduction, I, I worked at an organization called Power, People Organizing and Employment Rights. And my role in that organization was um, in the creation of a radical child care program called Power Kids. And uh, while their parents were out organizing uh, to, you know, defend and call for the rights of domestic workers and to win the Domestic Workers Bill of Rights in California um, or to, you know, stop the harmful practices of Lennar and other development agencies in San Francisco's last, um, you know, remaining African-American neighborhood, the Bayview, um, their parents were out on the front lines and, and my work with Power Kids was to connect that struggle to the kids, to the youth, the children, in a way that they could relate to it and understand and participate themselves. So uh, this concept of, of movement building um, with young people is very close to my heart. Um, and in EFAM, that's no different. Um, you know, when we were, you know, throughout the, the spring and summer, the beginning uh, EFAM, we were out at Wood Street at, at the encampment, and um, I met a young man named Eman, and he was 18 years old at the time. He was 18, and, you know, he had a very challenging and, and traumatic story um, of, of addiction and abuse in his family. Uh, and, and it was, you know, through learning about his story and, and spending a lot of time with him, you know, that I, I came to um, meet another very, very special young person. And that was his, his stepsister who, you know, one day just turned up um, and she was 13, um, and her name is Sequoia, and she, you know, had spent, since she was 9 or 10 years old, um, you know, those, those three years living on the streets um, with her mother and grandmother, and, and it was, you know, gone through unimaginable horrors that, no adult, let alone no child, should have to um, bear. And she now um, is one of our best volunteers and is one of my, you know, dearest people in my life. And I'm actually um, calling in from her home. Um, she is in the process of, you know, being, being, uh, in the foster care and adoption of, uh, by one of, of our uh, very good friends and, and another ESAM volunteer. And so 
you know, her life has completely transformed and, and I'm here caretaking her um, a few days a week and, you know, helping to, to raise her and, and, you know, be a part of her life. And, and it's, you know, amazing to see her dedication to the community that she comes from. And, you know, she continues to come on out to Wood Street with me once or twice a week and, and, you know, participate in the distribution of the food and the, and the medicine and, and the juice. And, you know, even in the construction of the, the, the community clinic and kitchen and structures. And, and she's always there and, and has not for one moment forgotten um, what it's like to struggle. And, you know, she, like I did at that age, has a hunger for justice and for righting the wrong um, in this world and in society. And to see young people exhibiting that kind of hope um, and resilience in these very, very challenging times. Um, you know, we, al- we always say that there were all of these problems here before COVID, they're going to be here after COVID. Um, and so, you know, really contextualizing um, the fact that, that our planet is at a drastic moment of change and shift. And if we do nothing, um, these future ancestors um, will certainly inherit um, a very, very troubled world. And so I think that Sequoia, along with other young people, are answering the call to their future ancestors um, and, and are becoming the, the young joven abuelos um, that we need them to be, you know, exhibiting the wisdom of an abuelo, of a grandparent, of an elder, um, but in, in their youthful state. And so, you know, I, I give many thanks and, and praise to all young people who aren't just caught up on, on the Instagram or the Facebook or, you know, worrying about, you know, their popularity, things like that, but that are actually um, worried about and taking action to defend um, the rights and dignity of us all and of the planet, of our, of our home. So is there a specific message you would send to youth who are listening to this podcast? I would say remember and know your cosmic identity. Find that out by talking to your elders, by learning about where you come from, by connecting to your ancestral lineage and line. Remember that you are a future ancestor and to treat this earth with respect, to treat it as though each day is and could be our last. Because the fate of all of us, of all of humanity, lies in the actions of each one of us. Okay. Well, thank you so much for that. And uh, one last one. One sure, last sure. one. This is my favorite as a as a child uh, because I was very different. 
and and always, um, you know, a bit on the the strange side. Um, but I always say, dare to be different, and you'll show the world something new. Wow. Okay. Well, um, th- that's amazing. And uh, I'm a big, like I said, I'm a big EFAM uh, fan. And I don't know if this is hashtag exists, but team, hashtag team EFAM. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm curious to know. Uh, <laughs> could you share uh, ways in which my the audience here, the community here may be able to um, find out more about what you're doing and uh, ways they can support mm-hmm. you and your work? Yes, please. Um, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can find us at the hashtag at essential.fam, uh, the handle at essential.fam. You can also check out our new initiative at Cobb on Wood. That's C-O-B on Wood. Um, and my personal Instagram is um, at Chicana, X O C H I C A N A, because I'm so Chicana. <laughs> so yes, please um, check out those those uh, Instagram handles and hashtags, and we'll definitely be implementing Team Efam. Um, and then our website is www.essentialfam.org. That's essentialfam.org. Um, and please, you know, stay connected to us. We need this team to grow, to be vibrant, um, and so that this important work can continue. You know, the, the world is in a state of change and shift, and we all need to work and walk together. I look forward to walking with you all. That's what Yeah. Essential fam. And, uh, be sure to check out their website. I know um, there was a fundraiser, but is there any specific um, re- request or, or ask that y- you may uh, want to share there too? Certainly, yeah. I mean, like I said, we're definitely looking for more dedicated team members um, to support EFAM, Essential Food and Medicine's work um, on the day-to-day. So whether that's from coming out and being a part of the JUICE team um, if you're in the Bay Area, we're juicing on Mondays and Thursdays. Um, and so come get involved, chop some, some veggies, chop some fruit, um, come out, get your hands dirty, um, build a cob structure with us out at Cobb on Wood, uh, you know, volunteer to cook in the community kitchen or, or sign up for a day sharing your healing arts in the community clinic. Um, and then, you know, really, we are looking for those dedicated folks that want to take it to the next level and, and be part of our administrative team. Um, if you're, you know, good at grant writing um, or good at creating flyers or videos, multimedia, you know, please consider lending your, your talent to us um, and, and helping this work, um, you know, continue for the people that need it most. And then, obviously, um, we have our uh, GoFundMe campaigns, both for the day-to-day operations of EFAM um, and then for the clinic and kitchen as well. Um, and so you can find us at essential.fam um, on GoFundMe. And, and, yes, please, you know, we've 
been doing this work for a year now um, and and are only halfway to our fundraising goal for EFAM and, you know, then doing the, the new clinic, clinic and kitchen, all of our fundraising efforts went to that. Um, so if you've got a little extra in there, um, yeah, send it our way. And, and if it's just a prayer, we appreciate that too. Amazing. Yeah, I would be down to find another way to collaborate. I hope that at least uh, sharing this with more folks is uh, one one small step towards uh, me supporting uh, eFam. And yeah, thank you so much for being in the show again. Uh, any other last words of wisdoms or appreciation that you may want to share, Sochil? Well, it's always, you know, give thanks to... to the creator um, who is a great spirit. And remember um, that things are not always as they seem. To look below the surface and to not take any piece of information as truth and as fact. Um, remembering that the greatest medicine available to us um, is the food and, that we're putting into our bodies and the thoughts that we're thinking, the words that we're saying in our heart. And so be kind to ourselves. Be good to ourselves. Okay, that was Sochil Bernadette Moreno. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Alfredo. Oh. So if you have any connections or folks who you think may be a good fit to have on the show as it relates to engaging those communities that are at the front line of climate change, whether they are actually doing the community organizing or in different industries or maybe even some artists then be sure to let me know you have tuned in to the climate frontline podcast we're found in all major podcasting platforms which includes apple podcast as well as spotify you can also find us on our social media platforms on instagram at the climate frontline as well as on twitter cfl underscore podcast so thank you so much for tuning in today i hope you enjoyed the conversation and i will see you next week for another episode of the climate frontline i'll talk to you then peace